Sue and I had visited the Boston Free Speech Rally on Saturday. Um, so do you have any thoughts on what went down, C? Uh, you had brought up the idea of going to the rally, and I was very interested in it. And um, I thought about it, and I was happy to go. And as the news reports started pouring in, um, I started getting intimidated. And when I woke up, I had a feeling of dread. And it almost... It was actually you that convinced me to come after all. And the feeling of dread came from the constant reports that I was reading that were saying it was a massive protest for white supremacists and it would be even more massively opposed by BLM and Antifa. And I thought it just might be a huge debacle. I didn't want to get into troubles. I had no idea. Maybe people would be walking along on the street and uh, they would attack us just because they thought perhaps we weren't with them. Yeah, and we were there just as observers. So uh, this whole ordeal was really just, it was the second annual free speech rally. So it seems like it was just organized by a group of college students. Yeah, so they got a permit and they told the city they would only have about, you know, 100 people there. Um, whereas it seemed like the people who were kind of pro pro protesting did not have a permit. There were tens of thousands of them there. So yeah, so that was, it seems like it was just completely, the uh, the people who were there for the free speech rally were just completely overwhelmed by crown of protesters. Yeah, and it's a question, how did they get there? Tens of thousands of people. I saw a lot of out-of-state plates on the way up there. Yeah, I'm sure, I, I think it's like a combination of, because I think the people who were mainly organizing the counter-protester was, uh, it, was a, it was a Black Lives Matter organized demonstration called fight supremacy and it seems like according to nbc news they had raised about twenty thousand dollars by thursday night and then started to expect more than ten thousand attendees so that was and then that organization wasn't the only one so there it seems like um nbc news is saying that there's also another uh group there called the Answer Coalition. And so those are, I think those are the main two groups that were organizing people to attend the rally. But then you also had uh, Antifa, uh, which is more of a coalition of more militant left wingers. So they're, they're the yeah, ones where the media was saying that, oh, uh, like even the Boston Police Department was saying, please stop throwing urine filled uh, bottles at us. Oh my and, God. So disgusting. Yeah, stop throwing rocks at the police. Didn't you learn that in preschool? You don't throw rocks at other people? Yeah, so you had you had that going on, uh, which wasn't nice. But it seems like Black Lives Matter and Answer Coalition didn't want there to be violence. But I think inevitably when you have a large group of people, especially when some are not too fond of the police and you have police in right gear trying to uh, control the crowd because tens of thousands of people in the city, is it's a lot of people to to have to maneuver around so to that manage, can, yeah yeah and itself can create a lot of tension uh so i think that's why he probably had a little bit of violence um against the police officers and of the few uh, attendees of the free speech rally it seemed like it was hard for them to really go anywhere because everywhere they went they were just surrounded by counter protesters it was intimidating i mean we were there and nobody knew and which sides we were on, but there are so many people and they're all ringed around this central location where the um, the free speech protesters were. And by the time we were there, nobody was left. Um, and you can see why. 
Um, but it, it's incredibly intimidating to have all those people around you. And um, how can you possibly protest fairly when when you're intimidated and, and things can go wrong when you have all of those people? Um, as you can see, when they escorted them out of the location, they were throwing, as you said, urine filled bottles and, and rocks and things like that at the police and at the protesters. Um, and these are known groups that are completely anti police. And so they have a history. They have a really bad track record of being um, really aggressive and, and in some cases calling for murder and cheering. It's it's a horribly irresponsible thing, I think. I don't think the mayor, Marty Walsh, should have been, um, uh, so, so should have misrepresented the free speech coalition as they did. That was poor judgment. Yeah, we look at who who's being attacked here. It's like, so Philip Crowther, he's a, he's a White House correspondent for France 24. And he, just on Twitter, he had posted some footage from the rally it's just the police extracting a participant in the free speech rally through a crowd of angry counter protesters and so you have people with masks yelling at this guy they're trying to attack him they call him a nazi and and the guy responds and says no i'm not, I'm not a nazi it seems like he was just there to say I, we need to stand up for free speech yeah uh, you have what did you think about the, the counter protesters themselves when you arrived uh, a lot of them just they seem like maybe they were college students or graduated like they don't really they seem like they're just there as part of a group seemed like it was something trendy to do but they they also seem like they just had a lot of anger in their hearts against uh people who they viewed as their opposition yeah uh, not yeah. open ears huh no no definitely not um it was there it was definitely like a you know we learn about groupthink in college as like a as like a management bias uh, and it, it that was very apparent during this rally there was just seems like everyone was there just to chant their slogans cause a ruckus and try to attack the opposition when they had the opportunity to and i feel like they think they're doing a lot of good um but i don't think that they've really thought about it very deeply i didn't hear any very good philosophical conversations i heard ridiculous conversations that's the irony here, because the group that had a permit to protest was the, the spokesman, John Medler, was very well spoken and he did a few interviews and he's very convincing and he has right down the line libertarian constitutional views on free speech. He disavows white supremacy, white nationalism and the other side that uh, those messages aren't aren't helpful. And so that's the person that was protesting. Yeah, I mean, going off of that, uh, there's there was actually a video that someone had posted, and so there's this there's this man talking to a couple of people. Uh, one of the people who's talking to has a mask on his face, and then it's a, another white girl, and they're t and the guy who's talking is a white man, and so they're trying to it seems like they're trying to have a conversation, but uh, both sides are yelling at each other, and the white girl starts screaming at him, "What do you think about white people?" And then this other uh, third person enters. And he just punches the guy in the face. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, which is the whole point of the rally. It's like, if you, you want a peaceful rally, it's like the whole point of having freedom of speech is to be able to say what you want to say without anyone committing violence against you. It's so uncivilized to just shut people down by, by going crazy. An argument is an argument. It's not hard to interpret it. And when you disagree, please use logic. I think that's the kind of the basis of uh, Western civilization based on philosophy from Socrates to present day. Um, please, please use logic as an arbiter of good ideas and bad ideas and support that with evidence. These people don't do that. Yeah, I think when, 
when you just want to shout down other opinions, it's a very it's a very blatant form of ignorance. Yeah, it's, it seems like they're not interested in hearing other opinions. Or even I mean, if you might as well be punching other, them in the face. Yeah, and even if they did hear other opinions, the question is, would they be able to logically process it without resorting to violence? Yeah, it's a pity. Yeah, it's a very easy way to stay within your own narrow frame of view. To have these principles of free speech, you need to have an educated, intelligent society. And we've been trying to do this with public education for, for years. And um, it doesn't seem like it's been working very well because these people don't seem capable or willing or both to um, engage in free speech and engage in a, a, a rational marketplace of ideas. And that's precisely what the organizer was looking to promote. And you see what happened. So it seems like people don't want free speech. Uh, and what that means for our country is, um, is a pretty scary thought. Yeah, I think it's a very one-sided view that those who oppose this type of free speech have. It's because, you know, they don't want, they want to block the speech that is that they don't like, that they find yeah. offensive. Yeah. But if you give the government the power to block that type of speech, what happens when the government also uses that power to block your speech? Sure. At that point, are you going to be advocating for free speech again? Yeah. You won't always be on the winning end. Yeah. But what I worry about is that the people that choose who's on the winning end and who isn't appears to be the media and uh, the establishment officials, particularly on the left, but also with the... Um, the, the right, which kind of just goes along with it. The media has just been misrepresenting the, this, the, these poor protesters as white nationalists, white supremacists the entire time, uh, despite obvious, extremely clear evidence to the contrary. All you have to do is go to their Facebook page or their website and or, or listen to interviews. So any journalist yeah. should see this and present the picture as it is, but they're not doing that and yeah. they're lying. And um, if you look at, uh, so Shiva Yudurai, he's a candidate running for Senate yeah. in Massachusetts. He's trying to unseat Elizabeth Warren. He's an Indian man. He's credited with inventing email. And they want to portray him and his, his group that he was speaking to as white supremacists. I don't understand how an Indian man can be fit into this idea of white supremacy. Yeah, it was opened with a Jewish couple and um, an African-American man spoke about equality and justice. They were holding signs that said um, uh, black lives do matter um, right in the middle of the protest. And yes, but it, I guess that's a neo-Nazi white supremacist statement to make. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> there's obviously some dissonance here. And so that's the, that's the issue because it's very, very clear that the media is misrepresenting it. And that poses the question, why are they doing it? And what will be the outcome of that? And uh, yeah, apparently, so the KKK was slated to show up yeah, true. They never did on right. that. So you one has to wonder was that ever like a serious consideration for whatever chapter of the KKK is over here? Yeah, it wasn't that serious. Yeah, it seems like let's say 50 <laughs> to 100 members? people How showed up. Well, 50 to 100 people showed up for the rally. That's yeah. uh it doesn't seem like any KKK people showed up. No. And it seems like the rally was over pretty quickly. Like if you if you went into the Boston Commons, it was very difficult to see where the people who were there for the free speech rally were gathered. Everywhere you went, it was just filled with counter-protesters. It was, yeah, it was Woodstock for counter-protesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, and one thing that I found interesting of the attendees, it seems like there were a lot of Marxist communists over there. There was a person waving a communist flag. There were several people wearing uh, 
the hammer and sickle from the um, USSR, wearing yeah. that as a t-shirt. Why don't we send them to a communist country? I mean, they can go to Cuba. Be my, be my guest. And go to Vietnam. Yeah. That would be nice as well. That North Korea yeah. is still practicing a uh, totalitarian system quite well. Um, yeah, the Democratic they, they, People's Republic of Korea. They probably wouldn't make the cut, though. If they went to Korea, they'd be rejected real quick. Yeah, the question is, you know, if you have a Democratic People's Republic of Korea, is that, are they equating that at all to the idea of, like, democratic socialism? Is it just communism? Well, yeah. Mr. Kim is very popular in his country. Yeah, he's definitely a popular guy. He's got the media on his side. Yeah, he, de he definitely has that on his side. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I find it interesting. It seems like you have these kinds of groups who, uh, it seems at least parts of the, the Democrat Party are rallying behind. But if you look at the attendees and the, the people who make up the members of these groups, it seems like there's a lot of Marxist communists involved in there. Yeah, and it we don't really understand Marxism or communism. Like they weren't the brightest bunch. To be honest, they looked like a, a, an outcast kind of person. And I'm very sympathetic to people that have, you know, that can feel outcasted by society because often it's because they have different feelings or different views or who knows, something happened. And that's not nice. Nobody likes to feel outside society. And so the, I, I, had a, I had a genuine and I do have a genuine sympathy for these people. You know, um, I think what they're doing is horrible, uh, but they just seemed like lost souls. You know, and, and this is kind of a group that will bring them together. And this is precisely what the media is saying the white supremacists are. I'm not so sure about that. But with these people, um, yeah, I felt like they're just kind of cast out of society in one way or another. And they found a group that they could rally to and they didn't really understand the ideas. And so I have a genuine sympathy. Uh, yeah. But essentially, they're the victims, you know, for, for the people that and they're doing terrible harm to our country with what they're doing. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think Marxist ideology says that. You know, for the movement, you're going to have a lot of useful idiots. To, they're definitely useful idiots. To advance the movement. I don't know how useful they are, but they're definitely idiots. Well, they're useful because the more numbers they have at these rallies, they make it seem like their yeah. movement is winning, it's gaining traction. And I'm I sure hope they're it is. useful at their day jobs. Uh, or maybe that is their day job. Yeah, who, who knows? I mean, a lot of them could just be students or they could be working like low-wage retail jobs. Yeah. Uh, and they show up to the rally because of that. I think a lot of it seems to stem from, you know, I think their main understanding of communism is saying, you know, we're going to equally distribute the wealth and this will help improve their standing in society. Yeah, sure. People, sure. society will be more accepting of them. Give me that money. Yeah, it's, I think part of it is money. Part of it is, is this wanting of acceptance. And they get and it status. in status. Those... The media gives them tons of status. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you be... can't discriminate against me. <laughs> Don't judge yeah. me. Yeah, so yeah, okay. exactly. They want they want the power, uh, they want the acceptance that comes with the power, and I'm sure there's also a monetary aspect to it. They probably really want to beat the hell out of conventional society for whatever society did to them. By well, you have to on, think you know, about it. Outside. Like if if you looked at the people who were there, let's just make an analogy back to like the elementary school playground. I don't think these are the yeah. people who are the bullies. I think these no, are more like playing with the rocks in the corner. Yeah, yeah, or they were more likely to be the people who were on the receiving end of bullying. They totally. were the ones being bullied. And totally. so now that they're older, they have this movement. It gives them a little bit more power, in a sense, to, to fight again. back against the, uh, against the bullies. They want to bully. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, if the, if the power swings, the power pendulum swings to their side, they want to use it then they'll against use their it enemies. Severely. 
Which doesn't this really that disproves this whole I mean disproves a strong statement, but that really throws a lot of doubt on this sense that uh, disempowered minorities when they are given power that they'll rule justly just because they were, you know, disenfranchised. They'll rule with the malice and hatred that they've been harboring in their hearts for what f- feeling, you know, disadvantaged. And yeah. I think that's well, natural. Revenge. So you have to watch out for that. Yeah, it's re- it's revenge. Yeah, you want once revenge. You're given the, yeah, once you're given given power, it yep. take. I think if you subscribe to the idea that power corrupts, yeah, then if you feel like you've been disenfranchised and unfairly treated your entire life, and then suddenly you're given this power, yeah, why wouldn't you not want to s- seek revenge against those you feel have crossed you? Totally. And let's be precise here, right? Like um, power corrupts is uh, is one concept and the cycles of abuse is another. So uh, the, po- the corruption of power is why Plato, for example, said that only the purest philosophers who don't receive the benefits of power can be leaders. Um, because when you have power, you have the opportunity to do things which benefit yourself uh, to, to the detriment of other people that you wouldn't have otherwise. And that's very tempting. You need to have extremely strong character to resist that. And that's why uh, philosophers uh, and people who didn't receive the benefits of that power uh, would be good people to rule. So that's one thing that corrupts just about anybody. And we really need to watch out for it. And that's why we have divided government and elections and everything else, right? And then the other thing is the abuse principle. like. When you're abused, people had tremendous power over you and used it unjustly, and it hurt you. Um, and often, people, when they get power, they they do the same thing to other people because they want to have that kind of control. Now, I think the left assumes that you automatically get principles of justice, like, that was done to me, I will never do it again, I will be just. But I think evidence shows that that's not the case. Um, when people are abused, they tend to abuse uh, others more often. Um, and that's that's a tragedy. That's something, but that's something that happens. It's natural. It's a momentum. What moves from one side eventually moves to the other. Um, and I think that needs to be treated with quite a bit of nuance um, yeah, to be handled I mean, in a rational way in society. Yeah, I mean, to curb the human's natural wanting to uh, abuse those who abuse them. As a response to that, I think that's why we have objective philosophy as well yeah. as you know religious commandments that say you know if someone wrongs you you should, should exactly. like for example turn the other cheek and that's god, very god difficult will, for humans revenge vengeance is mine right god has the ability to to execute revenge because he's just you yes. know whereas people are not just and the same thing goes for the state if you if somebody commits a crime against you you're not allowed to commit a crime against them the the court is supposed to be a just impartial arbiter that will rationally and fairly dispense justice uh, the, the way it should be done yeah, and uh, that that's sophisticated, you know. This whole simple BLM mat, all this all this nasty stuff that's going on is uh, quite simple. Um, but life is not simple. Life no, is it's sophisticated. Not. And I think and, what, what's yeah. going on with some of the people who are parts of these groups is that they feel that the system right now is unjust against them. So they're going to act as vigilantes to bring back justice. Right. But then the question is is why is the system unjust and is yeah. your form of justice actually better are you and correct? is it unjust that's the question like is it really unjust uh they say the criminal justice system is unjust because you have a disproportional amount of one one group of people in prison however they never look at the crime statistics who is more likely to commit crimes so if 
everybody is equal and commits crime at an equal uh, level, but redheads, for example, or uh, tall people end up going to prison more often, and you're 100% sure that everyone commits the same amount of crime, then yeah, there's injustice in the system, and that needs to be rectified, because an unjust system I don't think will stand. It will create lots of resentment that's harbored within the system that will be released in some kind of political pressure eventually, uh, and that will change. That will force the system to change. I think that's that's we've learned this history over and over. Uh, yeah, well, the, I mean, going off of history. that argument, that's what you're seeing with BLM. They view the system as unjust. It's unfairly right. imprisoning too many blacks, and so that's why yeah. they're organizing to fight against the system, try to make reforms to make yeah. it more just. But their the politically correct tool, if I may say prevents us from taking a look at the whole picture. As soon as you say, who's more likely to commit crime and do we have alternative data that, that gives that information, they'll call us a racist, okay? So now you're skewing the system towards injustice because if people are committing more crime and therefore are being punished more often, which is justice, and we, we change that system so that they commit more crime, but they're not punished as often. Now we have an unjust system and the people who are the victims of that crime will harbor the resentment of victims and they'll release that onto the system. And I think that's what we're beginning to see as this political correctness has had a couple of decades and now it's on full tilt. There are genuine victims. And these people, like the organizers of this event, are, are saying, hey, uh, we feel like we've been discriminated against. Um, and we need uh, we need some equal representation. We need to be heard. We need to enter dialogue. And these people don't want to enter dialogue, which is the, the, the definition of injustice, or at least uh, that's one thing that really shields uh, an unjust person's actions from from justice. Yeah, well, you they know? want dialogue, and, uh, but only with themselves. Yeah. Or yeah, those who will agree with them. Exactly. Yeah. And if you don't, if you disagree, like you're somehow a bad person, it's so infantile. It's absolutely infantile. It, it's a shame that we've degenerated to this. Um, and we, I think we really need to look at the source. Why has this happened? And uh, how can we prevent it from uh, continuing? And how can, we can, how can we get on track to being a complex uh, civilization that actually dispenses justice instead of just catering to the whims of these wild groups whipped up into a frenzy that just try to shut down the, the, the rights of others? Yeah. And I mean, going back to the whole bullying analogy, so if they... It seems like many of these attendees were probably, or at least looked like they could have been bullied when they were, they were in school. And yeah. now, now that they've that they've grown grown up and are entering the adult world, which is more involved with getting a job in order to sustain yourself, the bully, in a sense, has transformed into capitalism. So let's say the normal connotation of a bully is probably going to be an alpha male and strong and capitalism generally is going to favor those who are the alpha males and strong because they can command respect from others they can gather more resources and so that naturally will just create a system you know they're going to be winners and losers but capitalism has shown that over time you know there's a rising tide lifts all boats but it seems like those some of those who have fallen through the cracks um, probably not um, maybe their issues with their ability to uh, get better jobs or their inspiration to study more so they can attain higher higher paying professions it seems like those people in a sense want an easy way out and their new bully is capitalism and if they can only organize together take down the current capitalist state and replace it with communism where 
they're going to take from those bullies and redistribute to themselves, then we'll have live in a more just society. Yeah. Which makes sense to for their calculus, but it, it unfortunately nature doesn't really work that way. Like you have to go out and generate some kind of value, and then you can participate in the the, the economy. Um, and I think it's a problem of of welfare state. So I'm not against welfare. Um, actually, I think welfare is human. We all want we all have sympathy and we have empathy. We want to see other people do well, whether they're in their family or we see a homeless person on the street. Uh, we do feel bad about it. And we wish that they were better off. And often people will privately do something to make them better off. They'll give them some money or they'll start a charity um, or a foundation, or even if they're an employer. Now, capitalism isn't an angel and not everyone in the world is angelic. That's obvious. That should be clear. Um, but people do have a moral consciousness, some people more than others. Um, and so I, I think that's inherent in, in, in you know, human society. But the thing is, when you over, we have this over bloated welfare state it does a few things. One is it takes compassion away from individuals and puts it into this mindless bureaucracy or this faceless bureaucracy. So you no longer feel as much like you have to help somebody or if some old lady is having trouble uh, with uh, in her, in her, a neighbor is having trouble in her house doing things. In the old days, people would go over there because you know her, you, you've met her and you feel, you feel compassion for her and you'd like to do nice things for her. But if she, and, 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 and she needs you too. So she's gonna be very social often. I mean, that's probably the only thing she can do. So that generates a relationship. And when the state moves in, um, that she'll get a personal assistant or something like that, which is very expensive. And that personal assistant is, is there for money, not, not for the, the benefit of a relationship and the benefit of just extending their humanity to another person. And so that kind of makes the human compassion retreat. You know, that's, that's one thing. Um, and, and so then we actually live in a less compassionate state. And, and it's motivated actually more than mo by money because people are doing it for pay rather than doing it for the, the, the gratification of their own better self. That's the one thing. And the other thing is that um, when the welfare system is too easy, people fall down sometimes and they need a little help to get them up. In, in, in a non-welfare state, it would probably be their family or somebody else. In some unfortunate situations, there might be nobody. That's horrible. I don't like to see that happen. And so I think people like to bring the state in to fix that. I'm not opposed to that, but it's a slippery slope. And when you make it so easy to, uh, when you fall down, that you fall down into a nice, you know, feather bed and you don't really want to get up, it starts to grow and you start getting habits of, yeah, well, I can't do it. And, oh, well, this is because of why I can't do it. And that's why I can't do it. And and you fall into this kind of trap of being supported by others, which is easy. Who, who, who wouldn't fall into this? I mean, uh, it, it's quite, it seems pretty logical. But I think the people here are, are the result of that. Um, because they're not forced to get on their feet and play again in the system and generate value and make it move upward, you know, uh, increase the quality of the global economy, or at least the national economy, um, and themselves, uh, you know, to make themselves better by accomplishing things. Uh, they stay in one place and that harbors resentment against other people that are doing that and they feel entitled. Um, and yeah, uh, they, yeah. they want more ha handouts and then they end up in this mass protest and th th that ruins the party for everyone. We've seen what's happened in, in all of these communist countries. They've all failed terribly. So it's, yeah, I mean, uh, what happens uh, is like, well, living on welfare is not necessarily glamorous, but I think if you're receiving benefits, you end up receiving just enough benefits where it becomes a serious question as to, do I really want to expend the effort to work, let's say 40 hours a week? Maybe I'll make some more money, mm -hmm. but is that additional money really worth it? Whereas now I don't really have to do much. I can just hang around. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very real question, and I think 
that for many it can be the question of why why bother with getting a job when I can have these benefits right now? Absolutely. Work is hard. And if you can get sustenance um, for doing nothing, you have all kinds of free time. That's really an opportunity cost. You would be sacrificing that free time to do whatever you wanted to work hard. Um, and that's wonderful. Who, who doesn't want that? I mean, that sounds really, really attractive. Even if you're not going to get farther ahead, you know, this is something that Stefan Molyneux talks about quite a bit. People at the high end of the IQ spectrum um, can achieve quite a bit more. And, and once you start making uh, a serious income, you can live at a standard. You do in, input, you do invest a lot of work, but you start living at a much higher standard, and that's nice. But people closer to the bottom of the the IQ spectrum who aren't is naturally gifted at participating in the economy, um, their hard work uh, will not generate them the kind of returns that might satisfy, you know, compensate for the work. Um, and so it's better. They're better off staying home, and it's actually a good calculation for them because they don't have to extend themselves, and they get to do whatever they want, and that's. That, that's nice. The problem is that they're still consuming resources their entire life and they're not contributing to the pool. So as a society, we can't grow. Everybody has to at some point carry their weight or at least as much weight as they possibly can so that we're contributing to this, this larger economy that makes our entire society and civilization move forward and survive, basically. So as, as an individual, that calculus might work. Yeah, I'll stay home, I'll receive the check, and that's great, and it's better for me. But as a social uh, construct or concept, um, it just it, it's impossible in the long run. And yeah, so and that, that needs to be understood, you know, and, and our policymakers should be making policy that benefit us in the long run, that take into, take into consideration these things. Yes, human beings want to have, it, have the easy road, but life does not provide the easy road, at least not for not over the long run. Yeah, I think it's a failure probably from society that these people who may have a harder time learning new concepts and gaining the skills that they need to be competitive in the labor market. It seems like there hasn't been enough done to maybe help inspire them or to help help them at least achieve certain types of skills that make them somewhat competitive to get at least a decent paying job. Um, not everyone can be rocket scientists, but hopefully we can get everyone educated to at least a level where they can get a decent job so they don't necessarily have to rely on benefits to keep them going along. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, going back to the, this entire protest, I think, I do think many of these people probably fall, fall into that. Um, and I think that was my perception big time. Yeah, I, I would think so too. And I think also with just with these rallies in general, I feel like some people will be questioning, you know, are these people being paid? Like how, how many, if so, how many are being paid? And I think the idea, most of these people are probably not being paid. I think, you know, these you have these organizations. Um, so like the ones that I, I previously quoted was like the Answer Coalition. And then there was like a BLM uh, I, um, connected group called Fight Supremacy. And I think with these organizations, they will employ yeah, people what are known supremacy. as what they're called. They have they employ these people called community organizers and they will be paid and their job is to essentially, you know, rally people in the community and to go and attend these rallies. So, and then they'll probably also have student interns working with the college clubs in order to gather people to attend these. And I think there's a, th people don't necessarily need the monetary incentive to attend because one, you have the societal 
uh, pressure of, you know, this is a trendy thing to do. This is what a lot of your friends are doing. So it's fun and cool for you to attend. But I think there's also these people also genuinely just hate the system that we live in right now and that they really want to resist against it. They're so full of hate. And so they don't necessarily need the monetary incentive to attend. They will attend because they want to attend. Yep. No, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also sad that a lot of these people just have hate uh, filled in their heart. Uh, I heard more hate in, in that rally than I have in a long time. And it's quite ironic that they are protesting hate, yet they are probably more hateful than anybody else. Yeah, there was a lot of anger towards, it seemed like more of like a fictional enemy of Nazis. Yeah, who, who created the fictional enemy? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very important question as to like, where, where did this obsession with Nazism come from? Maybe you right. have, maybe and I you don't have even some mean people yeah. who, are, who are associated with it, but that's not really a main movement. No, it's nothing. And the thing is, um, the the... The, I would say the fiction or, or the hate for Nazi. Th who, what what does evil mean? Think of a per, the the f picture of evil. It's Hitler. We've we've known that's been for half a century. We've seen uh, film and media uh, portraying the Nazis as the definition of evil, and we know what the Nazis stood for, right? So white supremacy, yes, national is socialism. Yeah, it's national socialism exactly. We don't really hear that part that is connected with Stalin and that it's a, it's a redistributive movement. It just happens to be within national borders and not global international. Um, so that's kind of, there's a lot that's kind of taken out of the picture, right? But um, that's been in our minds as the picture of evil since we, since we grew up, since most of the generations alive grew up. And even I'd say probably the, the people who fought the greatest generation, they could say that because they went to war against an enemy. So we ha we're programmed to think that if you're a white supremacist, you are the definition of evil, period. And we haven't been primed with any of these others. If you're a black supremacist, well, I guess you're not evil. Why? Because you haven't been primed with it. You know, it's, it's essentially the same. The ideology is essentially the same. Well, right? the idea is white, white people have power, whereas the other yeah, I know. They races do don't but have they, power. Yeah, that's nonsense. We had a black president. Uh, we had a black attorney general. Uh, it, it, give me a break. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, what else can society really do to quell the <laughs> idea? Let's generalize. Let's generalize. All white people have power, please. <laughs> you know, yeah. Please. Yeah, uh, that's not. But, it's definitely not the case, and that, yeah, that the, doesn't make any sense anyway. Because if you're gonna have all these people protesting for communism, then and there's a lot of white people in there, it's like, do you do you think they have power when they say, when those people who are arguing for communism saying we don't have power, the capitalists have power? Yeah. So I, it seems like there's requires some mental gymnastics to make the logic flow. Yeah, it's amazing. Or or maybe you just don't consider the argument, and therefore you don't have to do the gymnastics. That's true. <laughs> you know, I think that's what it just most did, of the does, people does are not there. compute in it, so it just it just rejects it immediately, and they continue. Yeah. In the, in their status quo, so the slogan might be question authority, but maybe the caveat is maybe don't question what we had to tell you. Yeah, no, no, don't question us though. Question them. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we are never authority, even though we have complete authority over what you do. Yeah, th <laughs> yeah. those guys are the bad guys. You should question them. Yeah, we'll point you in the right direction. Yeah, please, um, please trust us. Um, and I, I think also, you know, so people will wonder, uh, so let's say they accept the idea, you know, maybe many of these people are not being paid, but who is funding the organizations uh, like Black Lives Matter? Uh, who, 
that are gathering that have the resources to gather all these people to attend these rallies i want to hear that but do you mind if i interject for a moment yeah sure Here's the thing. The second part of my point is that we've been primed to see Hitler as the face of evil and white national or white supremacy Nazis as the people who perpetrate evil for at least half a century. Um, now, these, like we mentioned before, uh, a quick uh, Google search of uh, who this gentleman is, John Medlar, and what he does and what he stands for illustrates that he has nothing to do with Hitler or white supremacy period and he explicitly disavows and he's been explicit as he possibly could be in to the media in the media and in interviews and on in his own personal publications the thing is the news were pushing precisely that white supremacy narrative just about every news outlet were saying were portraying this guy as a white supremacist and or harboring white supremacy or sympathetic to white supremacy so what they're basically doing is baiting these 20,000 20,000 large uh, protesters. I think it's probably even uh, more than with that. With the symbol of hate and evil. So how, if they believe this, how could they not be doing justice and be doing good? And Antifa is on record of, of advocating for violence against evil, right? So they're priming attack on these poor people by misrepresenting what they actually are, A, and B, um, by holding out, you know, the it's like holding out the red flag for the bull. So the, the bull runs into it. The bull will charge no matter where you put that thing. If you drop the Hitler sign or the white supremacy sign, people that have been primed for their whole lives and who can blame them, that's the media that they see, um, they're going to go wild or at least uh, in some way accept those who are going wild, the more emotionally uh, temperamental among us. Yeah, you know? and, and if so, you're being compared yeah. to you know World War II uh, soldiers who are fighting against Nazism and you're part of a coalition that is opposing what society and people are telling you are nazis you're being equated to heroes why wouldn't you want to be a hero yeah totally liberators and whenever you defeat evil you've got to be a hero i mean we we've had that for thousands of years i mean pure, probably since the dawn of human history we're defining the other as evil which is precisely what they were doing although they're not supposed to do this kind of thing it's uh, the contradictions are insane they have to be low iq honestly to, to live with these contradictions and not question this kind of thing. Uh, I mean, you can still <laughs> be an intelligent person, but not really have a refined ability to critically think. Yeah, I wouldn't say that these people were, were terribly bright, but I, I know what you mean. Like, they're very, very bright people that push this kind of thing. Um, but political correctness fills that gap. So when if political correctness alleviates the responsibility of one to think critically, and it actually, if you do think critically, it punishes you. And so these people are able to live with high intelligence plus political correctness in order to go about their daily lives because essentially they're, they're resorting to or they're, they're being relegated to a lower form of humanity by living by fear. Political correctness is just a fear system. You'll be ostracized, you'll be attacked, whatever, physically or psychologically or economically. Um, uh, and so they're being bullied essentially by the PC system and that that takes the place of their critical thinking when it comes to uh, certain issues, right? And that's a lower form of, of humanity, of civilization. Uh, I, that needs to be removed so that people can grow, to be self-actualized, to develop as human beings and to reach their full potential and for our societies to reach our full potential. It's obnoxious that yeah, this, yeah, this political yeah. correct thing I would it, think exists so. and yeah, pushes people around. Yeah, and people wonder what is, what is American culture? Well, I think of one pillar of the culture is the idea of critical thinking. Question, Absolutely. why am I doing this? Why am I listening to authority? 
That was the whole point of this American experiment. It was for people to have freedom to speak and for people to question those who are ruling over them. That's the First Amendment, right? That's precisely the reason we have that. And then we have free and fair elections so that people can generate this marketplace of ideas and uh, the best ideas are supposed to win. And then those people that uh, represent those ideas can be elected and anybody can. It's not like a hereditary monarchy where you might get a bad one and they'll do whatever they want and, and abuse and destroy the system. The, our system was designed uh, to, to, to survive on these principles. And our system won't, I don't think our system, I, our system won't survive when we take those away. So people need to be clear on that. Our system won't survive when those principles are subverted. That means we don't have this umbrella of civilization. We're living in, in a far more backward, uh, savage civilization. Nobody's happy in these things. So humans are happy when they develop and they flourish. That's why we built these things. It was painstakingly built. When you take away these pillars, which is precisely what's going on today, that's our life. We're seeing it happen. The, the, you know, Rome is falling and it's falling on our heads. And what's, what's going to come next is nasty and brutal. And, and I don't want to live that way, but I was born in this period and there's nothing I can do about it. You know? Yeah. I think it's worthwhile for people just to read up on the history of what happened during communist revolutions. Yeah. And I don't want to make people feel powerless or myself feel powerless. Although sometimes you do feel a little, quite a bit powerless when this kind of thing happens. Uh, we, ha I think, yes, it's extremely dangerous. And yes, we have to save this thing or else we're going to suffer the consequences one way or the other. If we if we do nothing, we shield ourselves from immediate danger. But in the long run, we're all screwed, you know, uh, and, and if we do something, we do expose ourselves to immediate danger. But we have the chance to preserve uh, our civilization for ourselves and for our posterity. And that's right. That's justice. Evil are the people who are actually holding out the Hitler sign. They're evil because they want to pull the uh, civilization, the tent poles out and have it fall on our heads and, and, and throw us back a couple of centuries, you know, socially. Yeah. Do you really want to live like they did in the French Revolution, always having to yield to the mob, otherwise risk uh, losing yeah. your life, losing your rights? Right. And that was a nasty situation. And we were supposed to progress after that. That that period was nasty, but we were supposed to get a, a better institution of government. If we did, I don't know, it's, it's up for debate. Uh, but they were, they were protesting against what was seen as injustice. And I guess you could say it was the aristocrats were fat and enjoying beautiful culture, which is invaluable in itself. But everybody else was starving. That creates resentment. Uh, and, and they want to pull the tent poles down, you know. But our system was was created uh, to to have the to, you know, to have these principles of justice so that everyone can live happily. And yeah, yeah. it's uh it's yeah, history is interesting. It seems like history has these motifs that keep on uh, popping up in different generations. Yeah. So it's always important for people to read about history so we can learn from the mistakes of the past. And PC forbades a lot of history. That's the problem. You yes. know, they're like, you know, don't learn from history and, you know, don't understand history in its context. You know, it's like going to another to to some foreign country and they live in a completely different situation because they're responding to real signals and situations on the ground that we don't experience and that changes their behavior, you know? And to, to not understand that that happens, why even say somebody who grew up in poverty versus somebody who grew up with, with uh, incredible uh, privilege, let's say, um, have different ways of living, you know, because they experience completely different situations and they had to adapt to their environments. And so it's understandable that there'll be different people, you know, and the left sometimes seems to understand that, you know, at a national level or, 
looking through this Marxist construct, but they, they, they don't understand it historically. So they always engage in this historical revisionism, you know, like, oh, you're not like me today. You don't faith, you, you don't think the way I do. Um, you're automatically evil. And it's, it's just so absurd. It, it's autom it's like automatically intolerant to, to other people. Diversity comes from experiencing different, uh, ex different conditions. You know, that's why Indians are, are different than Pakistanis today. And yet they were, they're perhaps more similar. I mean, we could go on forever, you know, very subtle variations based on different environmental circumstances, but, um, that's a principle that, that needs to be understood um, and applied fairly, you know? Give me a break. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Now, now, going back to the question of who was funding the organizations who had gathered a lot of these people for yeah. the counter-protests. So uh, just to start with Black Lives Matter, I'm just going off of a Washington Times article from 2016. Okay. So, uh, so it seems like in 2016, the Ford Foundation and Borealis Philanthropy, which are both generally... Uh, supporting left-wing groups and movements. They formed uh, what's called the Black-Led Movement Fund, which is a six-year campaign to raise about $100 million for the Movement for Black Lives Coalition, which is... A significant amount of cash. Which is BLM. And this is on top of uh, what Washington Times says is the already $33 million that the Open Societies Foundation, which was founded by George Soros, and grants made by the Center for American Progress um, had already made to Black Lives Matter. Um, other organizations that have generally uh, donated to the network of organizations related to BLM or this idea of social justice are the typical uh, big, uh, big power players when it comes to philanthropy. You have the Kellogg Foundation, uh, you have the Cerdna Foundation. Uh, Cerdna was founded uh, it's a family foundation for john emery andrus he he was a mayor of yonkers new york city served as a house rep for new york he made his money in medicine manufacturing real estate and investing in the railroads this was in the early 20th century uh, okay. so you generally your typical uh, wealthy family foundations and other big hitters in, in the philanthropy space that generally support left-wing groups they're the ones who are funding uh, a lot of these organizations and so I think with you have a pretty healthy balance sheet for these organizations, you have a pretty wide network um, of community organizers, and this network has just been built over the decades. So it's a pretty vast network that they have right now. And so I don't think it's a surprise that we should have tens of thousands of counter protesters show up at these types of events. No, no. Yeah, it seems like a logical conclusion, plus the press pushing, you know, holding the red cape to the bull uh, and attracting all of these people um, by misrepresenting the situation, you know, saying that they're the face of evil when they're not so that people charge. And the, they're also highly funded. This looks like a big apparatus. This looks like a very sophisticated, very wide network of individuals that are looking to sh shut down uh, speech and subvert the fundamental principles of our country, essentially subverting our country. Um, which is very, very alarming. And I, I think I think we I think the executive branch needs to look into this. And um, I'm not a lawyer, um, but there has to be some significant principles that are being violated in terms of uh, good faith towards the nation. And uh, this this kind of thing has to stop. It's, it's very it's very dangerous in many different ways. Yeah, I think uh, GOP senator has already asked uh, Secretary of State Tillerson to look in and see if taxpayer funds are being used to fund uh, left-wing groups. 
That's a start. That's a start. But I'd, I'd like to go further. I mean, if we have a George Soros, and people might contradict me, and I'd love to hear their arguments, you know, um, because it, I, I would, I would, I would actually really appreciate counter arguments. Uh, but when I see people, especially individuals, it makes it very easy to focus on when it's an individual that's doing this kind of thing rather than a network of individuals. Uh, but when someone like George Soros is is engaging in these subversive activities that really don't work for us, they're they're terrible. And you can make very good arguments, I think, for why they don't work. And let's have them in the marketplace of ideas. But I think when foreign nationals are doing this thing, it should be easy to shut off the funding stream, just like we've shut off the funding stream to ISIS internationally through sanctions or something. Uh, it's even worse when it's happening to us to, domestically, this kind of subversion. Um, and so I, I think for, from my personal perspective, we need to go quite a bit further and move into the private market and regulate. Um, and, and prevent these people from doing this. Yeah, because um, I, I understand the argument because in a sense you have foreign nationals that are funding groups that will have political effects on a country. Yep. And so if we, if we were so concerned you know, about Russia colluding um, with the Trump administration to, you know, to manipulate <laughs> exactly. the election, why shouldn't, if we're going to ask that question, why isn't it fair to also ask, well, you have these other foreign nationals who are funding organizations in the U.S. that are doing community organizing activities, political activities. Should we not be concerned about that as well? Yeah. You know why? You know why? Because the people who are our eyes and ears or, who you know, it, it, the media and everything, they don't let us ask that question. That, that question is under the PC blanket is prohibited, you know, so that shows how much control they have. And that's how alarming the situation is. It's a desperate situation. Yeah, I, I would think so. And I think people probably get kind of concerned by this network of activism because you don't really see the same on the right. Right. It's not as expansive of a network. Um, so that's why it always seems very one-sided. And, it, but I, and think I think you have building. to give credit to the left that they've done a great job of building this huge network that is pretty effective in, in really getting the attention of the media to go and spread their message. Or infiltrating the media. It's these are these are serious questions that people like James O'Keefe are doing a very good job in terms of. I'd like to see that expanded, um, you know, in, in investigating what's going on, catching people on hidden camera, and just really telling the story. It's hard, it's hard to it's quite opaque. You see this network and you see the effects of this network. You can analyze it and then you can presume the the origins or the motivations or other things. But you're really just presuming we don't have hard data, hard facts. Yeah, um, I, we just see. Yeah. I think it's fair to ask because if you think about the left from the '60s who were uh, protesting for free speech, protesting against the war, their their mantra was "You should be questioning authority." And I think it's fair to translate that to maybe we should be questioning who is giving us information. Absolutely, and, and yeah, and it's an older mantra, right? I mean, that was the, in a sense, some way the the mantra of the French Revolution and and the uh, American rebellion against the British is has always given us a sense of rebelliousness and, and that I think that's that's a good thing. Only if it's used so that authority becomes ever more just and fair. And and the arbiter of that is logic, reason, and discussion. Right? That that's the best tool we have for determining what's right, what's just, what works for everybody. Um, so if questioning authority helps us helps authority always be more just, that's awesome. But if questioning authority is just perpetual and whatever the authority does, you, you try to do something else. You criticize critical theory, right? You just criticize, criticize, period. That's extremely destructive. That means authority can't justly govern and, and just governance is why we have authority. We actually do need it and we just need it to be just. And then things work. 
you know? Yeah, yeah, I think I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I think if you're someone who's saying we're going to fight capitalism, we're going to fight the corrupt system, then I think it's worthy to ask who is who is funding my organization? They could be allies, but are they doing it for their own selfish reasons? And yeah. can we trust the people who are yep. giving us money? Yeah. Um, because I think at the end of the day, no one is just going to give money away. Uh, it's such large sums of money um, altruistically. That's maybe some people do that, but not everyone. And so I think yeah, it's nice. a worthwhile question. It's like, what, what do these people gain from me going out as part of the counter protest is advocating for, you know, communism or advocating that we need criminal justice reform. Yep. And I think some of this goes a little bit back to the kind of the desperation and the short termism. And uh, I don't mean to disparage these people, but they're just, you know, I can't say I can't say it any other way. <laughs> the, the lower the low IQ of the people. Right. Um, because the, and that, that tends to have make somebody look more towards the near term. So if you get money or you get wealth or anything else, you're just going to take it. Forget it, you know. And if, uh, you know, p there may be principles that mean you might be better off later on. But just like a drug addict, too bad, you know. I, I need it now and I'm going to get it now. And I'll suffer the consequences later or I'll deal with them later. And I think that's the, the attitude that uh, the people who are organizing this whole show are uh, expecting. And unfortunately... Uh, as human beings that we enter those situations quite a bit and they can be exploited and that's precisely why we need a good system of governance that protects us from those things so when we're at our worst we have somebody like a parental figure or a guardian or a mentor uh, that can bring us back around uh, to where we have to be to take a little bit of the authority from us and we, we, we give it away so that, that authority can guide us justly and we can we will be better for it you know yeah perhaps we just need better role models but <laughs> that, that helps I think that would help, but I think who's but, doing the role models? The media, right? Great job, <laughs> and I mean that genuinely. You know, you've achieved your objectives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they certainly have a large group of people who are following what they say. Uh, I mean, the question is: is does what the media have to offer is that is that just? Is that correct? No, and they're unelected. They're not. They're outside the system. You know, so they don't even have these responsibilities to to to, to the authority. Only a few. You know, some some legal responsibilities, but yeah, you know, they're an unelected media. Yeah, so I think to wrap up this this episode, the question is, you know, we should be questioning authority, and are those who are giving us information, are those who are funding our, our organizations to rally, are those people? Are should we be trusting them? Are is there something that they can gain uh, from whatever they're um, pushing out to us? Yeah. Uh, and so I think with that, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for tuning in. And, yeah, it's uh, been our hope, pleasure. Yes, and we hope that you tune in in the future. Thank you, and goodbye. Good night.